We're continuing our series this afternoon, journeying through the Gospel of St. Mark. And we find ourselves at St. Mark 5. Um, I'm going to attempt to speak to verse 21 through to 43 as swiftly as I can. Today we're going to look at two incidents as we heard read to us from the holy pages of Scripture. Uh, and these incidences are interwoven, intermingled with one another if you look at the passage carefully. And the two stories are the one concerning the daughter of Jairus and the healing of the woman who had an issue of blood. This season of the ministry of Jesus is when Jesus was most popular. He was well known in the region of Galilee. He had a great following at this point in his ministry. And you will hear over the coming weeks, you know, the miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 men. And some estimate there may have been seven, maybe even 10,000 individuals that were fed. So you see, there were a lot of people at this point in Jesus' ministry that was following him. And some people mark popularity as a, as a success. If you're popular, whether that's how many likes you get or how many follows you get on these social uh, platforms, that's seen as success. But the effect of popularity on the Lord's ministry wasn't all positive. Because what it did, it awoke opposition to the point that Jesus had to even start speaking in parables. He couldn't speak in plain language to the people. He had to almost like code what he had to say. One, to get their interest and to draw them a little bit deeper into the message he wanted to share. But also that they wouldn't just follow him for the fish and the bread and for the miracles. During this period of his ministry, he must have been physically exhausted at times. Can you imagine ministering to hundreds and hundreds of people day after day? And sometimes we, we know that in the scripture, he withdrew himself into the mountains to rest and to pray. And even some of the good that he did, as we heard last week, when he uh, delivered the man that was demonized, the people in that neighborhood were afraid. And they said, we don't want you in our neighborhood. Go from here. So this is where we pick it up today. Jesus gets back into a boat, as was read, and crosses back over the sea. And he's going to meet here suffering people, Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood who had endured pain and suffering for many years. So let me read Mark 5:21 and following. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and besought him, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
and he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, it must have been quite difficult for Jairus to come and approach Jesus to heal his daughter. Because the Bible tells us that he was one of the rulers of the synagogue. And what we have to understand, at this point in Jesus' ministry, virtually most of the synagogues was, was close to the ministry of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had upset the Pharisees and the scribes many times. He had healed many people on the Sabbath, which according to them was not lawful to do. He had been teaching things that were upsetting the Pharisees. So the ruler of this synagogue, for him to come to see Jesus, we must understand that he must have been in a place of real desperation. His daughter was at the point of death. Now this ruler of the synagogue would be the equivalent of, in our setting, a senior or the senior deacon in our church or the chairman of the board of elders. So for him to come to Jesus, he had to overcome his pride, his prejudice, his shame, and his embarrassment to come to this teacher that had been rejected by his leaders of the time. He had to overcome pride. So I want us to understand this. He didn't just get up and say, my daughter's sick, I'm going to go to Jesus. It was a big deal for the ruler of the synagogue to approach Jesus. His 12-year-old daughter was about to die. Those of us who have had children, you know what it's like when you have a young child that is sick, how you feel on the inside, almost helpless, because that child can't verbalize the pain, whether it's a fever they're having or some ache. They can't verbalize it because their speech is not at a place where they can talk. And you can almost feel helpless in that situation. So I can identify with Jairus, with his daughter, not just being sick, not just having the fever, but at the point of death. And I believe it was this desperation that drove him to overcome his pride and his shame and embarrassment and come and approach Jesus. I believe that it was his faith that drew him to see Jesus and he came and asked for him to come lay his hands on his daughter that she may be made well and then Jesus begins to move towards the house of Jairus and the scripture says that the great crowd was following him no doubt they wanted to witness this great miracle the healing of this girl and it's at this point that the other story into twines with the story of Jairus almost like interrupting the the, the flow of uh, this miracle which is anticipated and it says here Mark tells us that as Jesus and his disciples Jairus and the crowd is going to the house to heal the girl there was a woman with a flow of blood For 12 years, the scripture says, and I noted that she had 
this condition for 12 years and this little girl was 12 years old. So when this girl was born, that's when this woman with issue of the blood, her condition began round about that time. Mark 5.25 says, And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Mark records three things about this woman, her condition, her cure, and her confession. She was suffering from a continuous flow of blood, hemorrhaging, and no doubt it brought great distress and pain to her. But also, under the law, it would render her ceremonially unclean. So she would be ostracized from society. That means that she couldn't go to church or she couldn't go to the synagogue. She was almost regarded like a leper. So she couldn't have any human contact. So you couldn't go and shake her hand or hug her because she would render you unclean. So she was forbidden, almost like an outcast from society. And this was going on for 12 years. This woman needed comfort and solace. What made her situation worse is that she had been to many doctors. As we read into the scripture, it seems as if she had spent a lot of money at the doctors trying to get well. And Mark almost implies, if you read carefully, that these doctors were aware that they couldn't help this woman. But none of them had the grace and the honesty to say, look, woman, we can't help you, so we won't take your money. But it almost seems as if they were profiting from her illness until she spent everything that she had. But the scripture says she was no better off. She was worse. Somehow this woman heard that Jesus was passing by. And she said, if I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. It must have taken some determination for this woman, knowing that she's not supposed to be amongst the crowd, she's not supposed to touch anybody, She's regarded as unclean. She must have mustered up some courage and taken a solemn decision to make her way towards Jesus. Her faith was awakened. It was aroused. And somehow she was convinced that Jesus, if she could touch him, she would be made whole. She couldn't approach Jesus like the other people, you know, just come to him from the front walking because of her condition. So just use my imagination now. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm imagining that when she discovered where he was, she perhaps maybe walked to the back of the crowd and then began to work her way through the crowd and get closer and closer to Jesus. Know that she was touching people all the way on that journey 
when she got closer to Jesus, in my mind, I can imagine her then going down towards the floor because she doesn't want to make a scene. She almost wants to touch him, be made well, and just go. And she gets close to Jesus. And then the moment comes where she touches the hem of his garment. And that moment she laid hold of him. She felt the issue of blood stop. And she knew that she had been made whole. Amen. What I find interesting about this is that Jesus was thronged by a crowd. People were no doubt touching him, probably greeting him, shaking his hand, having conversations with him as he was walking along. But this touch of the woman was a special touch. Amen. The Bible goes on to say in Mark 5.30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I find it interesting that Jesus could distinguish between a physical touch and a touch of faith. The disciples must have thought Jesus was losing it when he said, who touched my garments? Because people have been touching him all day. But Jesus felt power, virtue go out of him. As I thought about that, I thought about ministry. You know that when we stand to minister, when we preach, when we pray, when we go and visit the sick, do you know there's a cost to that? Virtue goes out of us. Sometimes, believe you me, when I leave from church and go home, I just hit the bed. You think all you did was stand up there for half an hour and talk. I'm telling you, brother, it's more than that. There's a cost. Ministry has a cost. So Jesus felt power leave out of his being. He didn't know who had touched him. He asked the question, who touched me? Who touched me? Of course, we know it was this lady with the issue of blood. I want to stress one thing here that Jesus, as we see in the scriptures, says a number of times that he didn't heal anybody. It was God the Father who was doing the healing because he was not even aware of this lady making her way to him. It, it was her faith and her touch that released healing from God the Father. What can we learn from this? We can learn from this that we can be around Jesus 
and not touching by faith. So we can be in here and we're singing praises to God, but we're not touching him by faith. Because a lot of those people, maybe they were ill and they had challenges and they went back home the same. But the difference with this woman was that she reached out in faith. It wasn't just a physical touch. It was a faith touch that released the power of God. I wonder if anybody in here wants to reach out and touch the Lord Jesus in faith. Let's not just congregate and be around Jesus. I want to see the wonders that he's doing and just be spectators. We need to exercise our faith and reach out and touch him. So important to connect. You know, that's why the scripture says that we worship in spirit. It's spirit to spirit, brethren. It's not so much about what songs you sing, how you clap your hands, how you move your feet. You can do all of that and you're not worshipping. Your spirit that's been regenerated, reborn, when we worship has to connect with the Spirit of God. That's worship. It's not where you worship, the Scripture says. Some worship on this mountain. It's not where you worship. But we have to worship in spirit. And truth comes from the word of the living God. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray in a while. And I know some of us are going to be faith touching the Lord in this place. Amen. There's going to be change this morning. I know it in my spirit. Another important lesson I want to bring out of this story is that even though Jesus in his physical body was not aware of this woman's circumstance, that she was making her way to him, God was watching every step she was making towards Jesus. He saw her when she got down on her knees, when she was pressing through the crowd. Brethren, God knows Everything that you are suffering, everything that you are going through, He is fully aware of your circumstances. There are times on this Christian journey when we feel like we are all alone. Nobody understands the trials that I'm facing. Nobody understands the tests that I'm going through. Perhaps nobody who's ever walked on this earth has ever trod this path before. God has an all-seeing eye. He's watching you. He's watching you. He sees your pain. He sees your heartache. He knows what you're suffering. He knows that you're doing your best. God never forsakes us. I love to quote the scripture. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's our hiding place. When we're in that time of trouble. God's all-seeing eye is watching you. Can you tell five people God is watching you? He knows what you're going through. He understands your grief and your pain. 
God is watching you. Amen. One more important point I want to draw out of this story before I move on back to Jairus' story. Was the testimony or the confession of this lady. When Jesus said, who touched me? She didn't withdraw herself and try to escape that question. But she came forward, she was honest. She gave her testimony, she said, Lord, it was me. And she explained her situation. But I love the response of Jesus. He said to her, daughter, that touched my heart. Jesus doesn't call any other woman in the scripture daughter. But he knew this woman had been ostracized, cast out of society. And he wanted her to feel that welcome and belonging. He didn't just say, woman, your faith has made you whole. He said, daughter. In other words, the healing that you have just experienced belongs to you. You are a part of the family of God. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then he said to her, go in peace. In the literal Greek, it's go into peace. Continue to walk into peace. Get deeper and deeper into the peace of God. And then he says something interesting. And be healed of your disease. Now that's strange, isn't it? Because she was touched. She felt a change in her body. And she felt she was healed. So why did Jesus say, be healed of your disease? I believe that if she hadn't given her testimony, she would have had a temporary healing. And this is just me. This is not Bible. So everything I say, you need to go and check the scripture. Don't take my word for it. I believe, my personal belief is that her condition would have returned. But because she came and confessed and gave a testimony, Jesus said, continue to walk deeper in my peace and be healed continually of your disease. In other words, this condition is not going to return. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Moving on swiftly. While all this was going on, I can imagine what Jairus was feeling in his heart if I were Jairus I'd be upset with Jesus you mean to tell me that I tell you my daughter is about to die and you stop here with this woman I would have been vexed I would have been pacing getting agitated and almost want to be pulling Jesus notice Jesus always has time for us Jesus, reading the scripture, whenever Jesus is interrupted, he never turns his back. He always has time to minister to us. So despite Jairus probably getting a bit upset about this, because this is interrupting the flow of Jesus and him uh, journeying to his house, Jesus then picks up back this mission. And the scripture says in verse 35, while he was speaking, while Jesus is speaking to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you just imagine 
how Jairus' heart must have sunk. He came, put aside his pride, his prejudice, his embarrassment, came to Jesus with a hope that Jesus would heal his daughter. They are delayed because of this woman with the issue of blood who is healed. But then the news came, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? His heart must have sank. But ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. This is a, a battle of fear against faith. They've come with news filled with fear and Jesus is speaking faith. Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult and people were weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. As my wife shared earlier last evening, I was at home. In fact, I was about to just go over my message for today. A phone call come through to me. Can you come to the hospital to pray for my mother? She's at the point of death. And I thought, this is what I'm preaching tomorrow. So I had to put my clothes on, drive to the hospital. Family there, broken in tears, prayed with the family. And it's not the first time I've had to do this. And I went in hope. Obviously, everybody wants their loved ones to be made well and to be made whole. However, this morning before we left to come to church, we received the news that their mother had passed and gone. I just want to spend some time just talking about losing a loved one. You don't often hear this in, in sermons, but if you've been through that, you know it's something that's difficult to accept. It's something that's hard to, to deal with. And many times we see people come to church and they look okay. And they may have had a loved one who passed recently or even a year ago, even five years ago. And it's still weighing it on their heart. You know, before my mom passed, I used to go to the cemetery for burials. Now I go to the cemetery just to spend time by my mom's graveside. You might think, are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. Sometimes I feel like I want to talk to my mom. I don't go and talk to the grave, by the way. But I just stand there and I reflect. And sometimes whilst I'm there, I go and visit my cousin. And all the other brethren, some of them who are buried and some who have attended. Grief is real. Bereavement is real. I was reading in Genesis that when Jacob died, I believe they mourned for him, I think it was for seven weeks or six weeks. And even though we're Christians and we have a hope, sometimes we try to celebrate it off. But you know, after that, you know when it really hits you? 
after all the service and the burial and the reception and the phone calls stopped coming and the visits and the flowers, that's when the reality, my friends, hits you. Mom's not there. I can't phone her anymore. Can't pop around to see her anymore. She can't pray for me anymore. Can't give me any wise counsel anymore. What am I saying? This is real brethren and we should not try to rush through this process of grieving. Someone once said it's like a train journey. You just got to stay on the train until it gets to the destination. It's like a plane journey. When you hit turbulence, as I often say, what can you do? You can't jump off the plane. You can't go into the cockpit and take over from the pilot. All you have to do is fasten your seatbelt. And if you're a believer, either out loud or in your heart, you say, Lord, please take us safely to our destination. And most of the times we get there safely, don't we? So bereavement is a, it's a real uh, emotional journey that we go through. And I'm not brushing it off to say, because we're Christians, we have hope and everything's okay. It isn't like that, brethren. And I will be living a life of pretense to just say to you, you're a believer, trust in God, prayer, everything all right. Well, maybe it was like that for you, but that's not my experience. And if you haven't been there, you will get there. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've conducted many funerals, but I'm telling you, when it comes to your door, two different story. I'm telling you. It's a different thing when it comes to your door. So maybe God will just have me to say that. But what I like about this account is that Jesus puts away the doubters. He only selects Peter, James, John, and the parents of this young girl. Because the others were laughing at him when he said, well, she's sleeping. He selects those who would have faith and believe his word. And they go into this quiet place where this corpse is lying still. 12-year-old girl who was cut off in her prime. And I believe that Jesus raised her from the dead, not, not for her sake. I believe he did it for the sake of her parents whose hearts were heavy because really to be raised from the dead back to life, she's going to come back into a world of sorrow, trouble, heartache and pain. And then she'd have to die again. So I don't believe Jesus raised her from the dead for her sake. But two reasons. I believe it was one, because of the parents whose hearts were hurting. But more importantly, I believe that Jesus raised her from the dead to show that he is the resurrection and the life. So this wasn't going to become a pattern for everyone who died in Palestine. But Jesus wants us to see from this scripture that when you die in Christ you will be raised again. That's comforting to us, isn't it? For our loved ones who have passed away, who have died in Christ, that one day 
they will be raised back, not with the same body with which they passed, but with a new body and endless life. Jesus says to them, only believe. And note that he spoke in the Aramaic language to the little girl, in her own tongue. And Mark records this, not in Greek, but in the original language in which he spoke to the girl. He said, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, that's the favorite word that Mark likes to use. Immediately the girl got up and walked, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were overcome with amazement. And notice that Jesus said, give her something to eat. I don't know how he knew she was hungry. But he said, give her something to eat. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. As if you could cover up the resurrection of a 12-year-old girl. He told him that no one should know this. And he said, give her something to eat. I'm skipping right to the end now. There's more, but time has gone. What do we learn from this? I believe from both of these stories, one speaking to a healing, one speaking to the raising from the dead of a little girl. I believe that these stories are saying that we need to lift up our eyes and look beyond just what we see and what we deem to be the realities of life to a God who lives in a totally different dimension who is almighty, who is all-powerful. Sometimes we can't explain life and its circumstances. We can't choose what comes across our path. But I hope that we are encouraged this afternoon from these two stories penned by Mark. If you are suffering, maybe for a while, as we move to prayer, I'm going to invite you to come out and to touch Jesus by faith. Now, we know he's not here in person. You can't physically touch the hem of his garment. But your faith can reach out to touch him because you believe he's Savior, he's Lord indeed, to receive your healing. And then I also want to pray for those who are bereaved. This may be something that occurred this year, last year, could be 10 years ago, and it's still weighing on your heart. I want you to leave this place walking deeper and deeper into the peace of the Lord. Whether that was your parent, that was your child, who was a close relative or a friend to you. I want us to spend some time praying if that's still weighing on your heart. And you don't get over it. But God gives you grace, doesn't he? He gives you grace to cope with that uh, challenge of a situation. Let's stand together, please.